Hello everyone, this is Drew Precious, Director of Communications at the Presidential Precinct. I'm pleased to welcome you to Season 3 of the Global Founders Podcast. Here we will share highlights of our latest virtual programming initiatives, originally aired as Zoom events on the Presidential Precinct Network, featuring the voices of our program alumni and trusted experts working to further any of our six core focus areas. Thank you for joining us today on the Global Founders Podcast. Welcome everyone to our virtual discussion on the important and always, always relevant topic of advocacy and campaigning. I'm Nancy Hopkins. I'm Director of Programs here at the Presidential Precinct, and it is great to see everybody here today um, from around the world and the United States for what promises to be a really uh, engaging and intriguing um, dialogue with Gordon Wong from the One Campaign. As we get started, uh, I'm going to do something that I did for our last event. I'm going to invite you, um, and this is purely optional, to introduce yourself in the chat function. Uh, let us know your name and where you're tuning in from. That would be great so we can get to know each other a bit. Um, and when you do that, make sure that you're sending the chat to, to all participants so we all can see. Thank you. Um, and uh, just a reminder for those of you that have not attended a 2020 talk before about the format, uh, Gordon's going to give us uh, 20 minutes of thought-provoking insights uh, into the issue of campaigning, and then he'll open up the floor for 20 minutes of, of Q&A. And for that, he'll, he'll use the questions from, from the chat function. So even as he's talking, start thinking already about things that you might want to ask Gordon um, and be sure to put those in the chat. So I'm delighted to be able to introduce Gordon to you this morning. Uh, Gordon Wong is the regional organizing manager for the One Campaign. And as part of the US membership mobilization team, uh, Gordon works to recruit and train and support uh, the One Campaign's volunteer leaders in the Northeast and the Mid-Atlantic region of the United States. He joined One in 2014 to help manage One's university engagement program and the brand's digital strategy. Uh, Gordon's a graduate of the College of Holy Cross, where he holds a degree in religious studies. And before uh, his work at One, he worked with the Catholic Volunteer Network, uh, was a staffer on various political campaigns in Colorado and Massachusetts, and he started his career as a community organizer in Chicago. Gordon, welcome, and we cannot wait to hear your insights. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks, Nancy. Thanks, everyone. I'm going to go share my screen. and get us started. Uh, before I jump in, do you see the presentation or do you see my speaker notes? Just wanna double check. Thanks everyone. Uh, well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to everyone. Again, my name is Gordon Wong. Um, I'm a regional organizing manager over at the One Campaign, and it's really great to be back with the Presidential Precinct. I'm a big fan and love the work that they're doing, so it's uh, really fun to be able to join you this morning to talk about One and really uh, the, the principles to One's campaign work. Uh, and you know, I really hope that in this time together that you'll be able to take on some of the principles that uh, in this talk and throw them into your work uh, and into the tactics into your campaigning. So this is one secret sauce to campaigning. 
So before I jump into the secret sauce, I'd like to just share with you who and what ONE is. ONE is a global movement campaign to end extreme poverty and preventable disease by 2030 so that everyone everywhere can lead a life of dignity and opportunity. ONE was founded in 2004, so we're really new and pretty young in the development space. But in the 16 years of ONE's existence, we've had a lot of uh, great victories and a track record of success in terms of uh, ending poverty and passing meaningful legislation to get us to that 2030 goal. We are a global organization. We have offices all around the world. I'm based in Washington, DC, uh, but wherever we have an office, we have one volunteer leaders and activists uh, champ championing this work to their members of parliament, members of Congress in their work. And we're not an organization that does any fundraising or public or uh, on the grounds work. So we are strictly advocacy. We are focused on action, actions and generating a lot of noise in this work to uh, get us to our goal. But then with our vision, I really like talking about our vision just for another moment here is that our vision is a world without extreme poverty and preventable disease where people can fulfill their potential and actively participate in the decision making that affects them. This is the world we want. We fight for alongside everyone who feels the same. It's our job to enable the power of the people to influence the people in power. We won't stop until we're done because none of us are equal until all of us are equal. I like talking about our mission. That's our North Star. That's what we're aiming for. But the vision is really how and why we, we get things done and why we do what we, we do. But really, you're here in the time together to learn about one secret sauce. Uh, it's a pleasure for me to share with you uh, the tactics and the principles that uh, are threaded in our work and in our DNA. I'm not giving you any company secrets here, so I'm not going to get fired. I'm not, you know, uh, this is something that, you know, we want to share with everyone uh, everywhere. Uh, I also want to preface before I jump in is that, you know, we're a global organization, but in my work at One, I work with exclusively with our U.S. volunteers. So a lot of the terms I'm going to be using are mostly U.S. based, so member of the Congress, um, you know, foreign aid, foreign assistance, uh, members of Congress and their staff. So a lot of terms are, you know, U.S. based, but really this work, the secret sauce is in all our campaign work, whether you're in Abuja, Nigeria, or if you're in London or in Paris. And so, you know, I might shift here and there to talk about members of parliament or ministers, but really um, for in this context, I'll be using, you know, Congress as our kind of baseline. Uh, but, you know, this is what we've done. And, you know, I think this has proven that uh, in our time at one, we've gotten things done with the secret sauce. And so the, the secret sauce is really the four P's, policy, politics, pop, and people. Uh, you'll see this, you know, a lot of them are more explicit than others, but really all the, these four principles are in our campaign work. So I'm just going to jump right into the to the P's. We'll start with policy. It starts with an idea, whether it's achieving one of the sustainable development goals or it's a chance to provide first-time electricity access on the African continent. Uh, we're not a traditional policy shop, so we have to work with other organizations to um, do research, to have data, uh, to, to have these discussions uh, about these ideas and, and where to start and how do we get things done. Uh, we also, as we have these 
conversations, uh, we write and share briefings and policy reports and recommendations to members of Congress, their committees, ministers, uh, ministers of finance, or even members of parliament oftentimes. And they're also accessible to the public. And at one, you know, our policy work is pretty broad, but we work in five kind of main buckets. So it's global health, transparency and accountability, economic growth, agriculture, and foreign assistance or overseas development assistance. And you know, our policy portfolio is pretty broad and I think it's really intentional because there's no one size fits all solution to ending poverty or preventable disease. But having these five big buckets gives us a lot of different entryways to engage on these topics, whether that's vaccines and distribution, or that's you know, making sure funding for AIDS and HIV programs are fully funded, or it's passing you know, first-time legislation for electricity access. Uh, policy and these ideas is where, you know, that's the, really the fuel um, to getting our work started and our campaign work done. You take that idea and take that policy and you try to fit it into politics. Uh, and so for us at One, uh, it really begins with influencing elected officials and decision makers to pass meaningful legislations uh, to fight and end extreme poverty and preventable disease. One, we, at one, we are action oriented. So we write letters, we make phone calls, we make, we have meetings, but really it's all about developing long-term relationships with members of Congress and their staff. If you're familiar with our political process or members of Congress, they're usually in their offices and their positions for a really long time. And so, you know, they might not be someone who has a lot of seniority now, but two, three, six, eight years down the line, they might shoot up that seniority and they might all of a sudden be a chairperson of a committee that's really important to our work. And so, you know, it starts now sowing those seeds and hoping that, you know, they'll grow and, you know, hopefully they'll become a champion for us down the line. Uh, but also if they're someone who is important to us now, we're going to continue to let them know why we care about this work. And so at one, we're a bipartisan or nonpartisan organization, but which means we have to work with members of Congress from both sides of the aisle. And for 16 years, our credentials have really proven that this works and that we're an effective organization to make change. And so members of Congress, whether they're Republican or Democrat, know that when we're coming in, we're gonna come up with a good idea uh, that's smart, passionate, but also an organization that you know is going to talk to them and, and meet them where they're at and understand where they're coming from. That also works with how our tactics as well. And so we want to understand the political landscape. So we're not you know here sitting on our hands saying, "Oh man, I really wish that like you know it was a democratic controlled Senate and a House and a Democratic president." Uh, no, we're not going to kind of wish for something to happen next year or down the line like we're going to think about okay we have you know a democratic house a republican senate and a republican senator what are some opportunities available to us to engage on policy and development issues and we've been able to pass legislation and pass you know pledge fundings for gavi the vaccine alliance and the global fund to fight hiv and aids uh, the last three years um, with this kind of fractured political landscape that we have. And I think that's because of our credentials, but also the people that we have and the ideas that we're able to bring. 
And finally, we're in our pragmatic approach to one, we practice a inside outside game. And so uh, that's just a jargony term that says that one, we have a team of government relations specialists. So they're our in-house lobbyists. And so they're the ones that provide the kind of daily temperature of what's happening on Capitol Hill, what where members of Congress are standing on these issues and kind of what's needed to kind of get them to get to push them to support us. And then uh, that's our inside game. They're the ones that you know, are on Washington DC doing this work for us every day. And then the outside game is the people and that's the pressure that we're able to provide and push. And now that's our fourth piece. So I'm gonna save that for a little bit later. Jumping into our third P, it's pop, pop culture. Uh, if you know anything about one, uh, we literally have a rock star as our co-founder and having a literal rock star as your co-founder opens the door to engage the wider public, but also shines a spotlight that a lot of organizations probably aren't able to have uh, because of their work. And so engaging the public and broader consciousness and really the zeitgeist is a part of one's DNA. So we're at music festivals, we're at uh, Austin City Limits, we're out there um, talking about our work that a lot of organizations aren't able to do. I really do think that the pop culture P of our four P's in our secret sauce is probably the most unique among our colleagues in this space. But if you think about when one was founded in 2004, um, our pop culture presence looked a lot like this. They're, you know, kind of really glossy, really high-end public service announcements that feature mostly white men, mostly Western, mostly American, uh, you know, validators on this work uh, about why you should get involved. But in 16 years, our pop culture presence has really changed and really evolved. Uh, 16 years later, there are <laughs> these social media communications tools that weren't in existence in 2004. So we're actively uh, actively participating in those platforms, but also engaging the wider public means, you know, having different ways to talk about our issues. So that's explainer videos, like at the bottom, they're talking about, you know, development finance or producing really awesome music videos. We have about 10 to 12 now um, that are exclusively, feature exclusively our African artists and talent. And in our evolution as an organization, uh, our, our pop culture footprint has diversified. It's no longer just, you know, white men, American Westerners talking about this work, but it's Africans from the continent talking about this. It's European comedians talking about this. Um, it's really diversified uh, how we talk about work. And I think that's a really, really good progress that we've made there. I'd also be remiss too, if I didn't mention our kind of last, latest pop culture moment is it wrapped up in June. It's called the Past the Mic Campaign. So uh, COVID-19 has affected everyone everywhere uh, in this work. And you know, the last thing kind of the public needs to needs is to hear from another celebrity to tell you about wearing a mask or practice social distancing. So one, we want to kind of turn it on its head. And so knowing that we have this rather large, uh, list of celebrity friends from all around the world. Uh, we asked them to pass the mic, pass their social media handles and accounts to experts around global health, ec economics, uh, politics, and it was a huge success. And so it was kicked off by 
Julia Roberts having a really awesome conversation with Dr. Anthony Fauci. But if you're able to find it uh, later on, we were able to have a, a takeover from the former president of Liberia, President Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, uh, who took over Hugh Jackman's uh, Instagram account. And so she was someone who, you know, was in charge of a country that was fighting a epidemic in her country on the continent. And it was something that you know, I'm really, uh, I was really moved by and I'm always inspired by, by her. So check that out on our YouTube page or, or, or on Instagram. And finally, it's people. This is what I, I do live and breathe. This is what I feel like I'm an expert in, is working with our activists and supporters around the country, but also engaging our activists and supporters around the world. And like I said, our volunteers are everywhere. Our supporters are everywhere. Wherever we have an office, we have a core of volunteer leaders campaigning on this work. And just like our engagement with members of Congress, our engagement with the public is also uh, unique. And so it features people from all political backgrounds and from all walks of life. They're faith leaders, they're business owners, they're, they're military veterans, they're university students, retirees, community leaders, and, and so much more. And we engage the public and the people. It's because Congress works for them. People are, the United States, these people are their constituents. They need to listen to them. They're the ones that provide the concerns about why they care about this work. Uh, and these issues. And so, you know, oftentimes it might be the other way around, but, you know, at one, we, we want to make sure that we have an active citizen core uh, that talks about this work and engage in, engages in this. And how we get this done is, you know, in our ideal, you know, engagement is, you know, it features a faith leader, a soccer mom, a college student, and a veteran. That, you know, what are those four people are from all around, you know, have nothing really in common except for that they care about uh, one's mission and one's uh, campaign work. And so, you know, that really moves politicians and elected officials of seeing all of these different uh, entities talking about one issue there. And we've seen it get done and seen success there. And normally our volunteers are engaging Congress kind of like this. They're meeting with them in their hometowns. They're meeting with them at festivals or here in Washington, D.C., generating actions, making phone calls, you know, sending in petitions. Uh, but COVID-19, like to, to them and to everyone here, uh, it's changed drastically, not just in our day-to-day -day lives, but in our advocacy. And so uh, our advocacy and engagement usually looks like this, but actually now looks a lot like this. And so just because COVID-19 has uh, shuttered us into our homes and with our loved ones, it hasn't stopped us from advocating and campaigning. And so we've been having uh, virtual constituent meetings. We have about 30 or so at, at the, as of today, uh, 32, I believe, but we're on the hook for a few more this week. But we're still making phone calls. We're still uh, writing letters. Just because our, our lives have kind of stopped, it hasn't, doesn't mean that Congress has stopped working. So they're receiving our advocacy just a little bit more uniquely now. But I've worked at one for six years, and these four P's are throughout our work. And so whether it's in our Pass the Mic campaign or electrification campaign in 2016, uh, it's in there. But in six years of work, I've observed a lot of things. But I also feel like, you know, there are a couple extra things that really make our approach and our work even better and even more unique. And, and you know, we're almost done with this presentation, but who doesn't like a, a few extra things? And so these are my 
extra keys, uh, trying to keep with our alliterations. So my first P is being polite. Uh, this goes for life, but also in campaign work, being nice goes a really long way. You have to remember that the staffers that you're engaging, the members of Congress that you're meeting with, they're people too. They're moved by your stories. They're moved by your uh, knowledge and your passion, but they're also affected by your emotions and being polite, really like being nice is just a good thing in general. And so, you know, we're an organization that's not going to scream into telephones and, and, and curse them out. Uh, we're going to go in there and just put a smile on and know that they might, we might disagree ideologically uh, outside of one, but at one, you know, I care about the most vulnerable people around the world and on the continent. Uh, and we hope that you'll be moved as well. And thinking about that long-term relationship, like, you know, you don't want to go in and like their first impression of you is just like the screamer, the cursor, like you want to go in knowing that you're going to be meeting with them a year from now or six months from now, uh, they're going to remember you. And so that's really important in our work. If you've seen any of this work, uh, being persistent is really key to this to this and so engaging our con members of congress if you're a supporter and champion we're going to cheer you on we're going to uh, let the press know that you've supported this work and we're going to let you know that we care about you and we stand behind you but you if you haven't been supportive well we're going to continue to raise the heat and raise the noise we're going to call your office and let you know that people in your district and your state care about this and you need to care about this too uh, and I have a great story. We have a member of Congress in the South who were trying to get in and, you know, she was on the, the fence of whether she wanted to support this piece of legislation. And we were able to mobilize our volunteers uh, in that state or in her district and called her phone Monday through Thursday. And on Friday, she picked up the phone, called our assistant director and said, hey, call off the dogs. You can count me in to support this. And so, you know, we have a lot of those anecdotes uh, throughout our years at one of, you know, kind of not bending but not breaking in our work and finally uh it's partnerships so it's something like one working with the presidential precinct it's it's acknowledgement and a, a little bit of humility knowing that an organization like one can't do this alone anymore there's too many issues out there the world's too big for any one organization to solve them so we need to work with a diverse um, group of partners that can help us talk about our work to advocate but also to educate and to, and to, to engage with. And finally, it's you know, working with like-minded and similar, uh, like-minded and similar uh, minded organizations uh, that are doing this work as well. And so kind of this coalition is what's gonna, I really believe like this coalition of like-minded organizations is really what's gonna get us to the, to the finish line. So those are the extra piece. Uh, in our secrets, in my secret sauce, at least. That's my interpretation of the sauce. Uh, and finally, um, we're at the end of our time together. So I'd love to stay connected with you. Uh, that's my email. Give us a follow on Twitter or Instagram. And for those who are interested in uh, getting involved in a time of uh, COVID-19, we have a petition uh, calling our world leaders to support a global pandemic response plan. And so uh, I'll, I'll, put that link into the chat box um, and I'll make sure that this presentation is available to presidential precinct as well. So thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening. I know we have a few questions, so I'm going to stop sharing my screen and get to your questions.
So I'm going to go into the Q, uh, Q&A uh, from, so what do teams look like at one? Do you work on all of these issues with all of the Ps? Um, really good question. So at one, just like a lot of organizations, we have different departments. So we do have a policy team. We do have, uh, I work in the P department. So with our people and our US engagement, uh, we have a marketing and brand team that kind of works on that pop. And then each country, uh, doesn't necessarily have like a government relations team that's a very like u.s term but the each country that we work in so in london in uk and the netherlands we have a designated person that liaises between uh one and you know a ministry or members of parliament that way but you know really um they work in silos but ultimately they work together uh in this and so sometimes it's the politics that drives the campaign first or it might be the policy that drives the the campaign then you know we can feed that back with kind of what we're hearing from the grassroots as well so like hey like we're hearing that we just heard from a member of congress that they don't want to hear from us right now they've heard from a lot of us or they're dealing with their issues in their district like we need to ease up on you know our advocacy right now and so it really isn't like i guess i said silo but really it's a cyclical uh, mechanism in our work so really great question Second question, many of us would be thrilled to engage in any of these celebrity voices in our campaign. Do you have any advice for those of us who are still in the early ages of fostering those contacts? Um, yeah, I think like in my time, it's, you know, you never know what a person will uh, be moved to, why they'll jump into a campaign. And so you just have to exercise a lot of patience and, you know, kind of understanding the audience and and having a good a goal uh, set at, from the onset of just like what why do you want this person engaged with you and what's this relationship going to look like and you know what are they willing to do you know our celebrity engagement looks from passing the mic to like uh, we have a comedian that's had us you know tour with her and during her book tour we were in every venue and so she gave a couple tickets to us we were able to table but also like she gave a shout out to us about from the state and not every engagement is like that but you know really kind of having a good goal uh from the onset is really really important but also knowing that like you know maybe they're uh really passionate now but maybe they'll cool off in a little bit but you know they might engage with you later on what are some of one's best strategies for getting youth interested in policy issues how do you get them excited and engaged um that's something that, like Nancy said, I worked with our university and college engagement program uh, for about four and a half years at one prior to my current role. And um, one thing that's really nice about our work is that young people are, are really excited about this work, like especially college and university students, because they might be uh, studying this in for their major. They just might have a passion. They are have traveled around the world. And so really, um, I think they already have this issue. It's about us getting in front of them. I, I have so many experiences of meeting young people who said, I've been looking for something like this. I just never knew you existed. And so really it's about like, how do you break through all the different issues that young people are passionate about? So whether that's um, college student loans, uh, racial inequities, uh, global development, you know, healthcare, uh, you know, there's a lot of different issues that are taking up time. And so you're not going to get everyone. But I think what's really important is that there are a lot of people 
who care about this. And it's not just young people, it's retirees, it's faith leaders. Um, it's really about how do you, you know, mean them where they're at. Um, but also I think what's nice about one is that we're not a fundraising organization. We're not a on the grounds organization. So, you know, people don't have a lot of money these days to, you know, be able to uh, do charitable work. But, you know, what they can give and can do is give their time and give their voice to these actions and these issues. And so we're always, you know, at one, we're not asking for your money. We're asking for your voice to, to engage this broader policy in, you know, engage advocacy work that way. How do you recruit your regular volunteers and keep them engaged? How do you reward them and celebrate successes with them? Uh, you know, one, we have uh, a lot of different ways, whether it's college engagement. So we go to college campuses when we kid travel uh, to talk about this work, building, uh, speaking during classes and, and things like that. Um, with faith leaders, it's really like about, you know, starting with one faith leader at a congregation and then asking if they could reach out to another um, that way. So kind of, it's, it's different network that way. Um, we also have an online list of people who have, you know, volunteer with one, take an action with one. And so hopefully uh, taking one action with one is the catalyst to getting more involved with one. And so hopefully it's a journey with them uh, to get involved with us uh, throughout their time and, and as a one member. Um, and at one, we are always engaging them. Like they ha we have toolkits that they can look at and read. They have campaign objectives and goals. So whether that's hosting virtual constituent meetings or ha getting a number of uh, handwritten letters during a festival or during a summer, um, we have those available to them. Uh, and you know, we, and to celebrate successes, like having a campaign win and passing legislation, that's like the biggest win. But you know, we also try to find the little moments to give them shout outs, whether that's on our national volunteer calls and give, letting them know that they've hit their goal or, um, I've asked my manager to write, you know, personal notes to each of my volunteers for hitting a specific goal or having a year, uh, hit, you know, hitting a certain milestone too. And then uh, every year we have our, well, most years we have our conference um, called the Power Summit. And at the Power Summit, we have a volunteer dinner, appreciation dinner. And at that dinner, our executive director, Tom, will present a 10-year pin to our volunteers who have been volunteering with us for 10 years. And so they wear it really proudly. It's like silver. Uh, and so they wear it on their jackets, especially during their uh, congressional meetings. How does one work with advocates in other countries on global development and rights issues? Do you work in every region of the world? Um, yeah, I didn't get a chance to say this, but our, we have offices in, uh, in Washington, D.C., Ottawa, Canada, Abuja, Nigeria, Dakar, Senegal, Johannesburg, South Africa, London, Berlin, Paris, Brussels. I think that's it. Yeah, those are all the offices. Uh, and so in those in those where those countries or those offices that I named, we have volunteer leaders there. Uh, we're not able to work in uh, Latin America, South America, or, or Asia or Southeast Asia. Um, you know, we're just, you know, a small nonprofit that can only work uh, in so many places. So most of the places that we work in have volunteers uh, that engage this are mostly the G7 and G20 countries. Uh, but also our advocacy can only work in functioning democracies. And so, you know, those countries that are open to this type of active citizenry, uh, 
is where we're able to get this work done. I think I love, you know, one day to be able to say we have an office in Mexico or in uh, Singapore where my family's from. Uh, but, you know, at the current moment, um, we're focused on those countries and really like we're kind of focused on really building up our presence on the continent. And so Dakar, Senegal is our first, uh, is our latest office to open, but it's also our first Francophone West Africa office, which I think is really important to one's mission. But uh, even though we don't have advocates around the world, our policy work has a global reach. So we do have a lens specifically on the continent, but you know, the, the work that we do, whether that's uh, around Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance or the Global Fund, those, uh, that pro those programs have you know, reached to other parts of the world. So it's not just Africa that, receives, you know, that is receiving it, it's you know, Southeast Asia, Latin America, South America that are recipients of um, those programs. Is there a campaign that stands out as your favorite that you've worked on? Um, I talked about our electrification campaign. So it was a three and a half year campaign that I came into kind of in the, the, the middle of around our electrify, electrify Africa campaign. And so at the time in 2013, there was this idea that, you know, really the next step in, in development is around electrification and infrastructure. And so it's an idea that nobody was really talking about, nobody heard about. Uh, and so one, we took that on because we thought that it, if you can electrify the continent, everything can happen then, right? Like you can, uh, education changes, hospitals are, are running, government buildings are running. And so we took this on for like a three and a half year campaign. Uh, and that really, that was really where the four P's shine, right? Like it was the idea then running, you know, putting into the politics and the landscape and the changing politics at the time. Um, and then we engaged in a lot of different ways with the public, whether we had a couple public service announcements that were uh, had voiceovers from celebrities. We were at really unique festivals around the country in the United States. Um, and then the people, we, we ended up generating about 400,000 uh, actions to Congress over three and a half years, like 400,000. Uh, and then out of that engagement, we ended up having about, I think, 30 or so new people who became volunteer leaders because of that uh, campaign. So it wasn't just about, hey, let's get actions, 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 but really we took them through this journey, updated them, celebrated the wins, wins when we could, and then gave them an opportunity to be a leader in their community. And that's something that we're really proud of in our, on, our, on our team. What social media platform is one finding to be the most effective for advocacy right now and why? Um, that's a really good question. I think we, we're still engaged in the top kind of the big three, Instagram, uh, or Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, I think there's a lot of tools on Facebook to engage the public and generate actions. I think we found that, you know, perhaps Instagram isn't the best way to capture actions, but it's really to kind of generate, generate that noise. Uh, I think Twitter has been helpful as well. So I, I don't know if I have the best answer, but I will, will say that I featured WhatsApp and I think we have investigated and devoted some funding into kind of, um, how that platform works, especially on the continent. Um, and so I think that's a space to watch uh, in the future is how we um, continue to do SMS outreach. And here in the United States, we also do a text messaging uh, action alert as well. And I think that's, uh, we end up seeing a higher engagement that way um, rather than kind of uh, through a Facebook 
action. So I think if you're able to have it, text messaging is kind of where I think uh, we're moving towards. But we also, uh, it's not a social media platform, but we are, uh, we also email our volunteer corps all the time to take action. So there was one that came out during the United States that went out yesterday uh, to our senators and to our House representatives. And uh, this final question, how was the working relationship between you and our ex-president from Liberia, President Ellen Johnson Sirleaf? Uh, yeah, I think I can, I, I can send you the, the uh, if you send me an email, I can get you the kind of the conversation that was had. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, where in that time we had a Ebola campaign um, petition. So we, had about 130,000 global signatures to that campaign that we presented to President Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, and that was really well received. But I think uh, in a lot of ways, engaging her, it's helped kind of, we've used her knowledge and experience dealing with a pandemic of like what's needed on the continent and you know what investments need to be made, uh, not just uh, now, but in the future to prevent the next pandemic. And so uh, I don't know if we have a quite a working relationship uh, right now, but I think having her on past the mic was really just inspiring to me because you know she's someone who knows firsthand what a pandemic does uh, to a country on the continent, and so I was just really happy to see that happen. I see Nancy on. Um, I don't know. If those are the questions. I'm happy to answer any uh, others that might pop up. Great. Thanks, Gordon. Um, I'm actually using my moderator privileges to come back on because I have a question for you. And I'd love to, I think folks might be interested in hearing the answer to this. So, you know, we're all um, struggling under the pandemic. You know, it's affected all of our operations, whether we're working in the nonprofit sector, the private sector, the public sector, the universities, sweeping, sweeping impacts. How would you say the pandemic has affected one's work? How are you all pivoting and managing? Um, any advice for those of us who are struggling? Yeah, great question. Um, it's affected us. Uh, we had a, we were planning on working for the first half of the year on um, uh, on securing pledges for the Gavi, the vaccine alliance, which uh, provides vaccines to children around the world. Uh, and so COVID-19 has put us, has changed all that. And we were able to have our big conference in February, uh, right before kind of the country went into shutdown mode. Uh, so I'm really proud that we we're able to talk about our issues then. But, um, you know, we've, at one, we've been talking quietly about global health security for a number of years. And so finally, there's this kind of reception to it that you know wasn't always there for a really long time and so we ended up pausing our gavi campaign and we launched our one world campaign which the pass the mic campaign pass the mic work uh, is a part of and that's our global campaign to uh advocate and advocate for a global pandemic response plan so that's funding not only the immediate, whether that's for emergency workers and healthcare workers, but also we're gonna be talking about equitable distribution really soon, which our partner organizations like Gavi and the Global Fund have a lot of expertise in, and we're gonna be relying on them. Uh, but also uh, we've, rather than kind of having, you know, in district, in state meetings with members of Congress, talk about our normal kind of slate of advocacy issues, we've changed it to having virtual conference meetings like Zoom or, uh, on conference calls to talk about this. And it's been 
really, really fun. Like I said, we have like 32 meetings that we've had so far and we have a, a, a bunch more scheduled throughout the next couple of weeks. Uh, and so that's been really awesome. And I think that's inspiring for our volunteers to know that like, you know, the work continues uh, even if the shut, these shutdowns and people are working from home that, you know, uh, they're dealing with technological difficulties just like us and they're still open to our advocacy. And I think one has a unique opportunity to talk about this given our track record on other global health work, but also our policy know-how on prevention and, um, and global health security. Great, thanks for that. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear how nimble one has been to be able to make some of those pivots and to continue your important work, um, even uh, operating under some constraints that, that we're all under. So um, maybe just one last question. So what are you most excited about for the future of one? What do you think the biggest opportunity um, facing one as you look ahead? What are you excited about and um, enthusiastic about? Um, yeah, I haven't had to think about this in a while, but um, I think the first that things that comes to mind is just like our footprint on the continent and mm -hmm. developing leaders and volunteer leaders that way. In, in Nigeria and in Senegal, we have a program called the One Champions. And so um, they've launched those programs now. And, you know, every, they've had about, in Nigeria, it's about 50 each year for the last like three or four years. And so that's just really inspiring to know that these working adults uh, are want to learn organizing and advocacy tactics, obviously on a global scale, more for like their direct, you know, uh, in-country opportunities. And so that's, that's the first thing. But I think for me, it's continuing that journey with our volunteers and, and bringing new people and helping them realize that the, the power they have in the political process. And, um, you know, I love every time we're able to come to Washington, D.C. and have our big advocacy day, uh, having someone who said, I'm, I'm really nervous, Gordon. I don't don't really know how I feel. I don't know how they're going to respond to this. And I, I try to get coach them through and say, it's going to be okay. But then uh, they go through their meeting. It's, you know, it's a breeze. It's super easy, super well received. And then they come out of it. And I usually just always try to have a quick evaluate debrief um, in these meetings and say, how did it go? And they're like, that was awesome. How, when do we do this again? Uh, and luckily for them, it's a, it's a day full of meetings. So they get to do it uh, all day. But I think what you, it doesn't matter if you're a young person, a college freshman or a sophomore or a retiree or a teacher from Nebraska. Like, you know, everybody has a chance to talk about these issues. Everybody has a voice and everybody has that power, uh, in my opinion. And it's you, know, for us, it's, we try to just give them that space and opportunity to uh, activate themselves on that. I, I, I have the easy job. They're the ones that are really the, the ones that uh, do this work and really are the faces and arms and legs of one wherever they go. Well, I actually think that's a perfect place to wrap up. It really struck me when you said, you know, everybody has the power, everybody has the voice. So um, even though we wish you could be by our side coaching all of us as we try to advance um, our own policy goals and our organization's goals, um, it is important to remember that, that we've got what it takes. So we really appreciate you taking the time to share your nuggets of wisdom with us, so much good practical advice. Um, I think it was also a really timely point to have this conversation. Um, 
in so many countries around the world, including our own, you know, we're seeing increased polarization in the political sphere. And I think it's really good to be reminded um, that it is possible, you know, for leaders to coalesce around important issues that advance the public good. Um, and, and it's important to be reminded too that um, our voice is important in that process. We can help people coalesce around important issues that matter to all of us. And so, um, it is, it is a good reminder and a, and a beacon of hope, I think, um, sometimes when we get frustrated uh, with, our, with our political system. So um, I would be remiss also before we close if I didn't mention that we selected this topic at the request of one of our network members. He's actually uh, an alum of the presidential precinct. Um, his name is Radu Rakoto Samimanana, and he's from Madagascar. And he um, had put in an idea and said, hey, it could be really neat um, to focus a future event on advocacy. So um, we were really delighted to pick up on that suggestion and wanted to um, let all of our network members know that we're um, open to hearing your ideas about uh, what topics you'd like us to focus on for future 2020 talks, campfire conversations, and virtual cafes. So we are listening and we're here for you. So let us know if there's a topic that sparks your interest. And thanks to Radu for putting this one on our screen. So. Um, and with that, uh, I think we'll close um, maybe with some words that, that uh, Gordon said in the beginning about one's mission. I also wrote it down because it was so powerful. Uh, he said, none of us are equal until all of us are equal. And I think that's just a really uh, important thing for us to remember those of us, everybody here and the members of our network who are committed to social change. It's just such a, a positive um, and powerful statement for us to keep in mind. So Gordon, any last words before we close? No, it was my pleasure. Stay connected. Um, thanks so much to Nancy and Drew and Hannah for uh, putting this together and having me. So uh, I'm leaving this morning a little bit more inspired and a little more energetic uh, from just your questions. So uh, thanks everyone and best of luck. Great, thanks so much. And Gordon is going to pop in actually to our virtual cafe. Um, so keep um, uh, your eyes open for an announcement about that. And that'll be a chance for, um, for folks on this webinar, but also others to engage with Gordon in a really fun and informal way. So please keep your eyes open for the announcement about that date. Thank you. Great. Great to see everybody. Take care.